0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with episode 335 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back, and it's Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. You're here to break down everything in the world of AEW and NXT, but this week it is a super-sized edition of this podcast because we don't have two, we have three AEW shows to break down. We don't just have regular NXT, we're also going to be talking about NXT UK, and there's a little thing called Rick players last match that we've been waiting to talk about on this show. The Silver King finally got the opportunity to view it. Opportunity, unfortunate reality, whatever you want to call it. I've seen it. It's in the books. We are going to break down all of this on today's show. So as you can tell, with an episode this loaded, we need to be even more expeditious than normal. So allow me to begin this show as I do all of them by reminding you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about the So be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Also leave a written review. Let us know how much you love the show and tell other people why they should listen and subscribe. The five-star reviews are super important. I read two of them on Tuesday's show. We have another one set for next Tuesday show, a new one that just came in. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I also appreciate all of you who have decided to financially contribute to getting over. Notably, we are not past our goal. We're not even honestly where we were last year after just a couple hours after the first show was published, but I appreciate every single dime that has been contributed to this point and will be contributed. The reason I mention that is to let everyone know that the window is still open. So if you decide you want to financially contribute To the show, you can absolutely do so. All you need to do is head over to Venmo, and you can hit us up. Our account is my name, with no spaces, at Adam Silverstein, S I L V E R S T E I N. Again, at Adam Silverstein, and the avatar is a picture of the ECW Championship. Whether you decide to contribute one dollar or one hundred dollars, no matter what it is, we greatly appreciate it. We love all of our listeners. Our getting overheads and we appreciate you not only paying our server bills but allowing us the opportunity to invest in new equipment to ensure this show sounds as good as it possibly can and hopefully my biggest goal here is to get a new soundboard that's connected into a system so that not only can we do more drops and more exciting drops, but they're more fluid within the flow of the show. Right now, I'm basically using a system where I have to go out of my way to do it as opposed to having a hand on it at all times and being able to hit some sound drops. Don't worry, even if we do get the new system, we're not gonna litter the entire show with sound drops. I'm just talking about it being uh, a higher level of production quality. Again, if you wanna financially contribute, Venmo at Adam Silverstein. S-I-L-V-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. One more thing you can do for us before I do all of this for you and break down everything I just mentioned. You can also follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. We tweet as soon as the new shows are live. We also tweet during all of the major wrestling programs here in the United States. And we tweet polls, videos, GIFs, all that really fun stuff. I believe we're a good follow. You guys would tell me, I think, if we're not. But you can do that at GettingOverCast.com. On Twitter. The other thing you can do, of course, is send tweets and DMs that we will read on the air. We'll read your questions, read your comments. I can't get to all of them, but I think all of our listeners know we've been doing it a lot more frequently than we were in the recent past. And that is the train that we are going to be rolling on going forward. As I said, an absolute ton to discuss on today's show. Be sure to check the episode description if you want to skip around from one section to the next. If you don't care about NXT UK, you just wanna hear about Ric Flair's last match, you only wanna hear AEW, whatever the case might be, we will have timestamps in our episode description for every single section on today's show. We are going to kick it off because it was three shows in a single week. We're gonna kick it off with AEW and we're really gonna somewhat mix together Battle of the Belts, Rampage, and Dynamite. We're gonna break it down by storyline. And there is a ton to talk about from AEW this week. Let me start by noting, Rampage was live this week because Battle of the Belts was taped afterward. The audience's energy, plus obviously having Jon Moxley on that card, it provided a much better, more exciting atmosphere than those taped versions that have just really been awful with the canned audio and the bad cuts and all that type of stuff. I still didn't think Rampage was a good show. Battle of the Belts was definitely better but you could feel the energy difference. And I don't expect AEW to start doing live rampages every week. But, you know, as they continue growing as a company, there is definitely the possibility that they do like a rampage slash house shows thing on Friday and then have Wednesday be Dynamite and some dark stuff. They could also split dark among both shows in addition to whatever they're doing. I think they're taping in Orlando or something like that. So they have some options and... Maybe as they grow, they will do two live shows a week, but there's a vast difference in quality between a live Rampage and a taped one. It really is night and day. Anyway, let's get to everything that happened in AEW this week. On Rampage, Jon Moxley fought Mance Warner in an AEW Interim World Title Eliminator match. So this guy got to fight the champion of AEW because he won a bunkhouse battle royal at Ric Flair's last match, which on its own was kind of an absurdity. Mox attacked him on the ramp. He suplexed Warner into a chair outside that was reciprocated before a DDT into the steel steps. This was basically a street fight, but it wasn't labeled as a street fight. And there was a street fight scheduled for the main event of Rampage. So that just didn't make sense to me. Warner bladed. Mox bit his gash. Mox sold an injured arm that I thought was going to factor into his Dynamite match, but ultimately did not. He ultimately hit the pile driver in this match and won via knockout with the standing Bulldog choke. It just seems like every other Mox match, or maybe every Mox match, is exactly like this. The blood has lost all meaning to me. It was nice that Mox is the one who didn't blade for a change, but we're gonna get to that a little bit more as we go ahead and discuss the interim AEW World Championship match that was the main event of Dynamite Mox defending against Chris Jericho. So Mox, they did uh, pre-match promos, both of them. Mox suggested his interim title be called the FYI title and repeated his last surviving heart dungeon stuff about Jericho. I had, I could not understand what he meant by FYI title. A four-year information title, like I don't, it just didn't make any sense. Um, He said he would push Jericho to his breaking point and break either his spirit or his body or both. Jericho was clean shaven, which effectively made him look you know, a decade younger. And he put over the same stuff about the Heart Dungeon. Strong promos from both guys. The Heart Dungeon stuff, I've previously told you my issue with them mentioning that. The fact is it's just not reality, but it's wrestling and and not everything has to be technically accurate. Uh, Jericho also came out to his old, like Lionheart graphics with different music rather than Judas. So Jericho started this match with a lot of technical wrestling, really leaning into that Lionheart character before ripping an earring out of Mox's ear, hitting his signature springboard dropkick and nailing a lion salt for a near fall. Mox bladed during the commercial break because of course he did. It wasn't his ear that was bleeding, although that did bleed also. Jericho hit a hurricane and did a classic figure four ring post spot. He escaped a crossface, put Mox in Walls of Jericho, which I just thought he should have used Lion Tamer the whole match, but whatever, Walls of Jericho. And he did that for an entire commercial break, which was actually really impressive. I don't think I could get someone in Walls of Jericho for like a minute let alone four minutes, five minutes. It was really cool for them to do that spot. Mox conveniently reached the ropes as soon as the commercial break ended. They got a, this is awesome chant. Jericho caught Mox flying with a code breaker for a 2.8 false finish, then ripped off two turnbuckle pads as a distraction. Sammy Guevara threw a bat into the ring, or, or at least he was supposed to, from the crowd. Instead, Sammy completely overshot the ring and hit the canvas and just rolled right out of the ring. Jericho still grabbed it, hit Mox in the head, Uh, The referee forcibly turned her head so she didn't see it, and that ended up being another near fall that he kicked out of. Jericho then ran Mox into the exposed turnbuckle and hit Judas Effect with a delayed cover for a 2.5. So Mox is now kicked out of a bat shot and Judas Effect plus an exposed turnbuckle, although it was a delayed cover, as I mentioned. Jericho grabbed the title, but Mox reversed him into the exposed turnbuckle and locked in the bulldog choke. Jericho suddenly got a crimson mask. I don't know if he actually hit the exposed buckle and bled, or if he bladed somehow, like there was a, a blade stuck in there and then he cut himself, but it was a deep, dark red crimson mask. Jericho somehow escaped. He locked in the lion tamer. Mox escaped that, delivered forms to the back of the head and locked in the bulldog choke again, this time restricting Jericho's body movement until he tapped out. This was an exceptional match. Don't get it twisted. The wrestling was top tier here. There was a really solid story entering the match that was advanced by the action that we got. And while there was a distraction with some bullshit, we ultimately did get a clean finish with Mox going over in a gruesome style, which he promised leading into the match. So this was a situation where the blood was more appropriate than the other time we got it on Dynamite, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But the blood itself has just lost its impact with me in AEW. And now for me, it actually detracts from some of their matches at this point. Blood is supposed to add drama and intrigue in like a really important match or a particularly hardcore situation. But now they're using it like it's an Irish whip, like it's just another thing to do as part of a match. And not only is it kind of disgusting, and maybe that's because I'm getting older and my my tastes in wrestling are changing. Certainly, I didn't think when Mick Foley had a Crimson Mask or uh, Terry Funk back in the day when I used to watch that, I didn't really think it was that disgusting or off-putting. But as I grew up and as my tastes mature, it's just kind of ridiculous right now. Now... This match, if it was on pay-per-view and there was no bullshit, this would have maybe been eclipsing an A+. But there were commercials, a lot of slowdowns, there was the blood, the interference and the distractions. I did give it a slight downgrade. Still, 4.25 stars and an A. It was my favorite match of the entire week. And that's this is a week, by the way, that had some damn good wrestling matches on Battle of the Belts, Raw. And NXT already. Yet this was my favorite match so far of the week. Uh, there were six minutes left by the time the bell rang. That told us there was gonna be a really big post-match angle. Mox got 30 seconds to celebrate before Sammy and Jake Hager attacked Blackpool Combat Club, Eddie Kingston, Ortiz, and the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society. They all ran out to brawl. Jericho was ready to drill Mox with the title when he like kept waiting and waiting and waiting to do it. There was a delayed cue. Suddenly, CM Punk's music hit, the crowd exploded, and he ran down to basically clear the ring. Punk and Mox stood face-to-face. Mox flipped him the bird, bumped his shoulder, and walked off, making him the heel, I suppose, in the all-out unification match. It's just wild how much AEW ebbs and flows on Punk's back. The product, it's faced like major booking issues the last few months, and that's before Punk's injury. Those issues continued on Wednesday, there's no doubt about it. But Punk's return felt like a legitimately major boost ahead of All Out. As long as Tony Khan takes advantage of that with the way he does creative across the board, like it could really result in a significant uptick for AEW that doesn't have competition really on Wednesday nights before fall begins. And even when the fall does begin, there's no college or NFL football usually on Wednesdays. So AEW has a chance to really strap a rocket to itself and use Punk's return to go in a great direction. The question, of course, will be, whether the creative allows them to do so. Uh, The return of Punk wasn't necessarily predictable on Wednesday, though it did feel all week like someone was going to either return or debut. There was no indication, though, of it specifically being Punk, and that made it even more impactful, and it made me enjoy it more than maybe I otherwise would have, again, even though leaving six minutes after a main event makes it pretty clear that something's going to happen. On Dynamite, there was a really absurd backstage segment with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Daniel Garcia repeated his Dragon Slayer promo a third time, and then Anna JAS choked out a random person for no reason. Garcia is going to fight Brian Danielson next week in a best two of three falls match, American Dragon versus Dragon Slayer, and it's promoting House of the Dragon for HBO Max or HBO whatever the hell it is, whatever. What's weird is that AEW, when they were like doing these announcements, they announced that Danielson would speak on Rampage. And then 15 seconds later, they announced the match. As a viewer, I would have preferred them using Danielson as a hook to get me to watch Rampage to see the announcement that he was going to have a best two of three falls match against Garcia. Now, maybe AEW announced both consecutively because they figured, well, if Rampage is taped and that's going to leak tonight when people see the taping, then what's the point? But I would presume that they could have just had Danielson do a taped promo instead of doing it live in front of the crowd. So, you know... Probably could have gone both ways. I would have done it differently. Not the end of the world. On Battle of the Belts, there was an AEW Women's Championship match. Thunder Rosa defending against Jamie Hader. Tony Storm and Britt Baker were ringside. Baker grabbed the title. That distracted Rosa. Hader did a Uranagi into the steps. Rosa hit Saray's decapitation dropkick, plus a senton off the apron and a crossbody for a near fall. Hader did a backbreaker and brainbuster for a 2.5. Baker choked Rosa from behind, then super kicked Storm at ringside before eating a tornado DDT. Rosa tried three pinning combinations, turning a Casadora into a seated cover for the win. It was a fine match. Disappointing that so much time was spent on Baker and Rosa also couldn't get a more impactful win over Hayter. Like, why can't Thunder Rosa hit her finisher and beat Jamie Hayter? What is the issue with that? What is the negative? There is none. So just let her do it. She's already a weak champion, even though she, you know she's retained it a couple times. Get times. Allow her to get a win over Brett Baker's underling. Why not? It doesn't really make sense. I gave it 3.25 stars and a B. On Dynamite, it was announced that Chris Statlander was injured. So Storm has now been elevated back to number one contender. Rosa said it's not what she wants. Storm said she would be back in action next week in hopes of becoming champion again. I don't know why she needs to be in action next week if she's already the number one contender, but I digress. They were cordial with each other, but clearly it's going to get heated before they fight at all out. Definitely an opportunity for a title change there. Statlander, she has a knee injury to the opposite knee that she already had surgically repaired. That's obviously awful. And we're starting to border on Tegan Knox territory with her, unfortunately. Hopefully, she comes back strong again. It's just really a shame that AEW has now twice squandered her momentum when she was healthy by just waiting too long to pull the trigger and strap her up. Like all these delays and delays and delays. I don't know what they're doing with Jade Cargo. Maybe they want her to get to like 50 before someone takes the title off her. But one delay after another, and now you don't have Statlander probably for the better part of the next year if it is a ligament issue. So unfortunate for her. I hope she gets back healthy. On Dynamite Darby, Allen fought Brody King in a coffin match. This opened the show. Darby attacked Brody. As soon as he entered the ring, there were thumbtacks like 90 seconds into the match. King bladed less than three minutes into the show. I'm including his entrance. Darby hit an awesome avalanche code red. Brody's cut was so deep though, it never stopped leading the entire match. He had a full crimson mask as he did a swan dive into a table outside. Suddenly the lights went out. All of House of Black was back. King Cannonball Darby threw a table in the corner. Buddy Matthews opened the coffin, revealing Sting, who snuck in there during the blackout, I presume. He beat Buddy with a bat. He hit Brody with one like twice. Sting then threw the bat to Malachi Black, who stared him down and left. Sting followed him, and they did another stare down on the ramp. So that's now four stare downs between them. Darby hit a tope cannonball. Brody was still gushing blood. Darby then choked him out with a chain through the ropes, dating back, kind of a reference back, I should say, to their Rampage Rumble. Well, I forgot. What was the Royal Rampage. Uh, the finish of the Royal Rampage match. So they did a callback there, which was really cool. Then they he dropped King from the... Um, the chain, when he basically was completely choked out, and the guy fell into the coffin with the door closing on him, the finish with the choke out and the coffin, it was outstanding. Like, I had problems with the match that I'm going to get to in a minute, but the finish was freaking fantastic for a coffin match. Loved it, very inventive, and just a cool callback plus a cool finish on top of it. Now, this would have been extremely fun, but it was truly an overbooked mess. I know Sting is Sting, and I know the reveal was cool. But the idea that Darby could overcome a four-on-one disadvantage because Sting wielded a bat for a few seconds, it's an absolute joke. Buddy returns after all this time, gets his ass kicked by however old Sting is. Uh, Malachi and Sting, they keep staring each other down. Nothing's happening. Are they going to do a singles match or something? I presume not because Sting doesn't fight singles matches. So what's the point of them doing that? And you now have House of Black, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, in the trios tournament yet they're still feuding with Miro and they're still feuding with Darby Allen. So what exactly are we doing with them? And then on top of all of that, if the blading just seconds into the match wasn't bad enough, no one addressed it. Like no trainer went up to him and tried to like get it to stop bleeding a little bit. It was gushing blood all match long. The entire thing turned me off. I went three stars and a B minus because of the effort of Darby and King plus the finish I did love. A legitimate coffin match between these two guys without the bullshit probably would have been like a flat A, like a, a 4.25 or maybe even better. They are that good. And the match, a lot of the elements of it were that good. But there was so much other bullshit that it just took me out of it. On Speaking of uh, Miro on Dynamite, he cut another Redeemer promo when Julia Hart came up and grabbed his face, suggesting he joined them. She was trying to corrupt him. He said only one woman gets to touch his face and he walked off. How did she wind up wherever Miro was located? And if she's there, why wouldn't House of Black be there to attack him? Why would she think he would join them? And why are we getting the same promo every single week for months? Is Miro like randomly gonna join Sting and Darby Allin and do like a trios match against House of Black at All Out when House of Black loses, I guess, in the trios tournament? Or is Malachi feuding with multiple people? Again, like I said, this whole thing is very oddly booked. Speaking of that trios tournament, they announced it. AEW did. It's going to begin next week, and they're going to crown an inaugural champion. I believe that final match will be at All Out. Teams competing include Death Triangle, Will Osprey and Aussie Open, Andrade, Dragon Lee and Roosh, Young Bucks and a mystery opponent, uh, a mystery uh, partner, uh, House of Black, Dark Order, the Trustbusters, and Best Friends. A couple of notes here: the mystery partner for the Bucks, it's obviously going to be Kenny Omega. Very cool that Osprey is going to be in this tournament. Trustbusters is the only group that is clearly out of place when there are far better options like, I don't know, Blackpool Combat Club or something with Eddie Kingston, or Ortiz and someone else, Jericho Appreciation Society, or even a couple of the top talents in AEW deciding to join together to enter the tournament and get a chance to win. That's really my only minor gripe, but I do think it's a fair one because it's kind of nonsensical for the frickin' Trustbusters to be in this thing. Anyway, the tournament should be great later on the show. Uh, The Bucks approached Hangman in the locker room. He was there with Dark Order. They suggested the Undisputed guys won't be around for a while and wished they could take back what happened between them and Hangman. They then apologized to him. Matt asked Hangman to be their partner. He said he can't because Dark Order was there to support him when they were not, and it's his way to pay them back, not by partnering with them, but by being in their corner. Extremely well done backstage segment. Sets up Omega's return without publicizing it. I suppose it could be someone else from Japan instead of Omega, but Omega clearly makes the most sense. It seemed like the undisputed attack from last week. I mentioned this on the show. That seemed to be low effort, and now we know why. Maybe they weren't even cleared, or they were like cleared preliminarily just to do a little bit of stuff to set up this angle. You do have to question what we saw last week, now knowing they're not going to be in the tournament and they're not going to be presumably on the show in the near future. On Rampage, best friends realized They've been struggling apart, so maybe they will do better as a trio. And then on Dynamite, the Trust Busters, which by the way includes Ari Davari, Parker Bordeaux, and some guy named Slim J, told Orange Cassidy he would be better on his own. Remember that random vignette we got on Divari two weeks ago? Like, that, I guess, was to lead into this. AEW really loves shoving former WWE guys on TV, But this may be like the lowest level to which they've ever done it. Like literally Parker Bordeaux, who was failed as Harland. I'm not saying he's bad. I hope he succeeds. But like a a nobody, basically, in terms of NXT. And Ari Devari, who was never really on television. Those two guys, they got them. So, all right, got to throw them into an AEW trios championship tournament. Absolutely ridiculous. Jim Ross also even mentioned he's like Parker this guy has quite a story to tell or some shit. The story is WWE gave him a shit gimmick and then released him. And he wasn't really that good in the ring when he was there. Hopefully he gets better. That's the story. Uh, Nizer at Nizer 17 he said, now that AEW owns Ring of Honor, I'd love to see the Bucks mystery partner be Marty Skrull. Go ahead, Google Marty Skrull's name with the term speaking out, see what comes up, and then you'll understand why that will never happen. On Dynamite, the Lucha Bros fought Andrade El Idolo and Roosh in a Tornado match. This was absolutely as wild as you would expect. There was so much to break down that I literally just skipped the first half of the match, not watching it, but breaking it down because it didn't factor into the finish. So Ray Phoenix did an assisted tightrope per Acarana. They combined for a Casador a splash for a near fall. Both teams hit double Topaicon Heroes in different parts. Penta Oscuro took Andrade down with a Canadian Destroyer on the apron. Andrade tripped Phoenix while he was tightrope walking. Rouge tied Penta's mask to the middle rope. Phoenix ate a shotgun dropkick and a pile driver with Penta unmasking uh, to break the fall. He purposely unmasked himself. Then a spare mask was thrown inside, but Andrade picked it up and threw it into the crowd. Jose took out Alex at ringside again. Fans chanted to throw back the mask, which really smart. And it would have been cool if that was the move. Like they were hoping the fans would throw it back. Someone did and then Penta put it on that didn't happen unfortunately. Roosh landed the Bulls Horns basement dropkick on Phoenix with Andrade hitting the Hammerlock DDT for the win. Fantastic match. The wrestling was superb, non-stop action, and the tornado rules were totally necessary here, especially with Rick Knox as the referee. Everything worked. Phoenix though, he looked like he legitimately got hurt on that basement dropkick, so I hope he's okay. Personally though, I am getting sick of the mask removal finishes. I've said this before. It seems to happen in like every other big Penta match. I wish I knew how frequently it's used in Mexico, like in AAA and CMLL, because if it is used frequently, then it's not odd and out of place for it to happen in a lot of his matches in AEW. But it does seem like it's an overabundance and it's something that AEW relies on as an excuse for Penta and or Phoenix to lose a match. But even with the mask finish, It was done in this case in an extremely creative way, tying it to the ropes. They did have a second reserve mask. You know, then it got thrown into the crowd so he couldn't get it. So I did appreciate that. It's just such a shame that you can have a great match and one wrestler eliminates himself from competition because people might see his face. Like it's tradition and I understand that from a luchador aspect, but in American wrestling in 2022, it's also kind of nonsensical. This was really good 3.75 3.75 stars, B+. Plus. If you gave it four stars and an i I'm right there with you, too. It's right in between both. Very good, entertaining match. The single best thing on Dynamite before we got to the main event. On Rampage, Swerve in Our Glory fought Tony Nese and Josh Woods in a non-title street fight. This is the street fight I was talking about that was the main event of Rampage after Mox basically had a street fight to open the show. Nese hit Keith Lee with protein powder, swerved through an entire toolbox at someone and missed. Woods put Swerve into the steel steps with a twisting suplex. Lee threw Nice into Woods and then no-sold a chair shot from Mark Sterling as the guys kicked the steel chair into him and hit a double DDT onto it. Swerve broke the fall with a 450 splash. Nice had a great sell on a Lee headbutt. He took it like death outside. Sterling hit Swerve with a wrench and went for a high-risk move, but Lee threw him into the table. With a Nice superkick helping him, Woods German suplexed Lee through a table off the apron. It was easily the spot of the match. Actually, it was probably the spot of the show. Swerve backbody dropped Nice into a stack of chairs, and then he hit the Swerve stomp for the win. It was a really entertaining main event. The only thing I'd have done differently is I would have made it shorter because Nice and Woods really have no business going this long with the champions. Plus, the hardcore shit from Mox, like I said, to open the show, it really took away from the impact of certain parts of this match. And that's totally Tony Khan's fault for booking it that way and allowing it. But this was fun, 3.5 stars and a B. The tag team champions, by the way, are back to being relegated to Rampage. They're set for another segment next week. There's no clear challenger for their titles with all that upcoming. And obviously AEW is doing other stuff on Dynamite. So just so you know, yeah, they will get a moment here or there in the sun on Dynamite, but Swerve and Lee, Rampage seems to be their home. On Dynamite, Luchasaurus fought Anthony Henry. Jungle Boy was on commentary. Luchasaurus won with the Fossilizer in a minute. Christian Cage did some mocking applause on the video board when Jungle Boy ran from commentary to attack him, only to get stopped by security again for no reason that I can tell. I don't know why security is so worried about Jungle Boy attacking Christian Cage. There's no storyline that he has paid for personal security or that there is a separation uh, agreement between them that Tony Khan is trying to enforce. For some reason, security is worried about Jungle Boy attacking Christian. Luchasaurus then took out the security. He headbutted Pat Buck, The insinuation that they gave us was that because it was an an official, like an agent and not a referee or a security guard, that might be worthy of punishment. So maybe the assumption is it's going to be Jungle Boy and Christian at All Out with Luchasaurus barred from ringside or suspended. I'm here for the match. I am done with this feud. It's not working for me. Just get to the match, get to All Out and end it. And I never want it again. On Rampage, Konoski Takeshka fought Ryan Nemeth. Takeshka won a squash with a driving knee. Peter Avalon attacked after the bell. He had another pump knee. Normally, I would say this should have been on Dark, but this was specifically promoting a match the next night. Going into that match, Takeshka, by the way, was two and two in AEW matches in July. He never had a singles win on TV, and he never had even wrestled a Ring of Honor match. So obviously, someone with a resume like that gets a Ring of Honor World Championship match at Battle of the Belts. Claudio Castagnoli against Takeshka. There was a fun shout for El Generico from commentary. That's also Sami Zayn, for those who don't know. Claudio hit an avalanche gut wrench bomb for a near fall, plus a swing for another. They traded moves with Takeshka hitting a blue thunder bomb for a near fall. Then he did a weird turnbuckle DDT and missed like 90% of a frog splash. He sold it for another near fall. Claudio got a sharpshooter and crossface in for about 10 seconds each. Then he completely no-sold two German suplexes, there was a really good sequence next. Takeshka ended it with a pump knee and brainbuster for a 2.8 count. Claudio hit a basement European uppercut. Takeshka countered the Rakola bomb into a pinning combination for another false finish. Claudio caught him midair for a Death Valley driver, hitting a springboard European uppercut, lariat, hammer elbows, and the Rocola bomb to retain via pinfall in an absolute banger. Takeshka continues to impress every chance he gets, but if they don't give him real wins, then he shouldn't be getting title matches. It's really as simple as that. This was a tremendous main event for a special show, 4.25 stars and an A. On Battle of the Belts, uh, Wardlow defended the TNT Championship against Jay Lethal. Wardlow took some punishment with a tope suicida and a knee around the post. Lethal kept escaping powerbomb attempts. Wardlow hit a good headbutt and a wind-up lariat before hitting a powerbomb for the win in 7 minutes and 20 seconds. Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh, I guess they attacked after the bell, you could call it, Duck barely hit him. Singh put his foot on his neck. Lethal put Wardlow in the figure four leg lock. Wardlow then low-blowed Singh to escape a chokeslam, but Lethal stopped an attempted powerbomb. Singh then chokeslammed Wardlow through a table, which he's big and obviously bigger than Wardlow, but it was not believable at all. It was a crap match, a crap post-match. Nothing Singh does, like I said, is believable. What's the point of this guy? What's the point of him doing this to Wardlow? Are they actually going to fight? Like... That would kill any remaining believability about Singh. There was really nothing redeeming about this at all. And I thought, well, at least maybe it's over. They let them get over on him. And then they just do something different with Wardlow. But no, that was not the case. This continued on Dynamite somehow. Lethal demanded another title match, despite, again, losing clean in 7 minutes and 20 seconds. Or else he said they would find Wardlow, beat him up, and get a rematch from him anyway. Wardlow accepted he stormed down to the ring to kick their asses when FTR entered. The end was Lethal eating the big rig. So they're going to have a rematch. So much for AEW's no rematch thing. This is happening immediately. What the roster AEW has signed, all of their talent, the independent people they bring in, they're really going to run this back right away for no reason. Jay Lethal lost the Ring of Honor TV Championship match to Samoa Joe. Then he lost the TNT Championship match to Wardlow. And he's getting another TNT Championship match. Why not just do an open challenge on Dynamite? I don't get this. I was ready to let this go from Battle of the Belt to not be too critical. But after Dynamite, I'm sorry. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of piss It's absolutely ridiculous booking. On Dynamite, Ricky Starks fought Aaron Solo. Starks sold his attack from Powerhouse Hobbs after last week's Dynamite. When Cutie Marshall and the factory offered him protection, he told them to kiss his ass. That set up this match. The factory then approached Hobbs, suggesting they would take care of Starks for him. He basically denied them. That happened on Dynamite. Starks won the match with a spear in a couple of minutes. Nick Comarado attacked, so he hit him with a spine buster and left through the crowd. Hobbs destroyed a TV backstage because Starks beat a jobber. Like, that was weird. I know the factory is like a temporary feud to hold over until we get to Starks and Hobbs at All Out, but it just really feels lackluster. And again, the believability of Hobbs being upset when a group he didn't want to take out Starks didn't take him out was just completely odd. On Rampage, Layla Gray fought Madison Rayne. Rayne was hired as coach of the women's division. Took her no time to get a match. This was rough as hell. Rayne hit a sliding lariat and cross rain the crossroads basically, for the win. They got decent time. Half the match was during commercial. After the bell, Jade Cargill offered a title defense. Uh, Kira Hogan tried to attack from behind. She ate Rain's finisher in short order. Nothing to write home about. Same surface level storyline bullshit involving uh, Jade Cargill. So we got the match on Dynamite. TBS title on the line Cargill against Rain. Jade speared her Rain so hard, it actually got a crowd reaction. Like people groaned, and it was a really good spot. Uh, she didn't cover after that for some reason, who the hell knows. Rain hit a good neck breaker and then an awful flipping neckbreaker off the ropes. Kiara distracted and then sold a boot from Jade that didn't even touch her face. She literally just hit the top rope. Then Jade did another one that completely missed Rain. She sold that anyway. Jade countered Cross Rain into Jaded and got the win. Another awful match. Jade, she's had her impressive moments. But this was again proof that she is way too green and... People think she's improving. They say she's improving. She's not. She's a one-note promo, and she's one-note in the ring. That's just the truth. There's no advancement for her right now. Rain didn't help matters. Being a veteran in that match, she's supposed to carry her. She didn't. After the bell, Athena appeared behind Jade and got a shot in before Jade was pulled to safety. Statlander, as we mentioned earlier, she's injured, so maybe they're going to pivot to Athena to end the title reign. Maybe not. I don't know. We will see. On Dynamite, Billy Gunn told Gun Club they need to toughen up. He said they ruined the match that he made famous, the dumpster match. Stokely Hathaway called Billy grandpa ass and attempted to g- give the club his card when Billy ripped it away. Danhausen then walked up saying, He's going to fight them Friday as he teams with Eric Redbeard. All righty then. That's exactly what I want to see. Danhausen and Eric Redbeard against the Gun Club. That's going to get me to tune into Rampage. The entire Rampage preview made the show look completely skippable. AEW really needs to consider like announcing fewer things in advance. There's definitely a happy medium between AEW announcing everything and WWE, at least in the past, announcing nothing, but the whole gimmick of Excalibur, like running down the match card and reading 17 things, everything that's going to happen on Rampage and Dynamite, the gimmick's like dead as far as I'm concerned. And the over-announcing and the over-planning, it, it basically tells you, hey, Rampage, not over-planning. It's good to over-plan, but the over-announcing. It basically says, hey, Rampage, Dynamite, you know what you're going to get. If you don't like the people that are scheduled on these shows, you don't need to tune in. And that I think is probably hurting AEW, especially when it comes to Rampage. If Brian Danielson one week and John Moxley the next are on Rampage, but then they're not announced for future shows, then people are going to know, well, there's no reason for me to watch. But if you don't announce them and they show up on the show, people are going to make sure to watch Rampage every week thinking, hey, Mox or Brian Danielson or Kenny Omega, these people I like are going to be on the show. Regardless, it's just Rampage this week, I know. I I know going into next week's episode, I'm going to trash this Rampage because it does not look like it's built good at all. As far as AEW's three shows this week, Battle of the Belts was the single best Battle of the Belts that they've put on thus far through three of them. It also had the lowest rating out of any of them, which tells you all you need to know about the way this extra programming has been promoted. As I've said, if every show is a special show, none of them are actually special. And when you really have a special show, Battle of the Belts, a different night, a different time, titles on the line, I mean, look what this meant. When you you have all these other things, why is someone gonna go out of their way to tune into Battle of the Belts? The other thing I need to note about Battle of the Belts, back in the day when WCW did Clash of Champions, that was a must-watch show. All the major titles on the line, they hadn't been immediately defended on TV the prior couple of weeks, you needed to see that show. There were title changes. It was really exciting. This is like the most bastardized version of that. Usually only one out of, if even one, of the main titles is on the show. Now they're throwing Ring of Honor shit on there. It is just such a, like I said, bastardized version of the Clash of Champions concept. And I know that TNT and TBS, Turner, Warner, whatever you want to call it, I know that They're not necessarily giving them a lot more money for those additional shows. But if you want people to watch a Battle of the Belts, put it on at nine o'clock for one hour on a Saturday and give us an AEW World Championship match, a Tag Team Championship match, and the TBS Championship and change one of those titles. And I guarantee you the next time you do one of those shows, that thing is gonna do big numbers. Again, as long as you have similar caliber matches on the show. So they really need to think about that Battle of the Belts concept, but it was an entertaining show. Dynamite improved from what we've gotten to some degree recently, but that was largely because of the matches, the Tornado, Luchador match, and the main event. The rest of the show, as you could tell, there were a lot of problems with it from a creative standpoint. So with the week in AEW now in the books, let's move over to NXT. And NXT actually did something really cool on Tuesday. They had a WWE Superstars style cold open where like six people cut promos to the camera all ahead of their matches to start the show. WWE had done that, I don't know, six months ago, nine months ago, something like that to start a Raw recently or a SmackDown, Uh, but it was a really good look for NXT and I I wish they did that more often. Now we are going to do an ultimate preview for Heatwave as part of this discussion today. So we're going to talk about everything else that happened on NXT. Then we're going to do the Heatwave ultimate preview. Then we'll talk NXT UK and we'll wrap things up, of course, with the unrelated item, Ric Flair's last match. Valentina Feroz and Ulysses Leon were telling Sanga how upset they were about losing the Women's Tag Team Championship match. Caden and Carter and Katana Chance, they came up and said they'd be happy to give them an opportunity whenever they're ready. Feroz and Leon were really down on themselves. Sanga gave them a pep talk. She said, you have to believe in yourself just like the KCs did. And then he promised to give them balance and perspective next week. I am quite sure that he will. <laughs> Lash Legend stopped Malik Blade backstage. Didn't really care why Idris Nofe was missing and she talked to off about her match last week. She nearly talked him to sleep when Onofi finally walked up, so she did the same to him. Onofi finally stopped her from talking when Pretty Deadly told them to never cut off a woman like that, and that set up a tag team match. It was probably the most entertaining that Legend has been so far in NXT. We had Pretty Deadly against Onofi and Blade. Briggs and Jensen came out a minute into the match as Deadly was taunting. A chair was introduced, Briggs grabbed it. Onofi got run into him with the chair. Deadly then hit spilt milk for the win. Legend then hit a pump kick on Fallon Henley, basically for no reason, after the bell, and stood alongside Deadly. It was a short, convoluted match, but I will say, I love Pretty Deadly and Lash Legend hooking up. Something about that trio makes a lot of sense. I don't know that they can go far with it, but clearly they're going to at least do a one mixed six-person match uh, with the other team, and that is going to be pretty entertaining. Ariana Grace complained to Andre Chase that Thea Hale gave her a black eye while they were playing in the quad. Uh, Chase decided to settle it with a match. Grace wanted to file a lawsuit, so he snapped at her. He went off. As Hale went wild learning she was going to get her first match. Now, it really wasn't her first match. She's fought on NXT Level Up, but I digress. Her first singles match on NXT TV. Grace fought Hale. Thea did a really good swinging neckbreaker and half of a standing moonsault for a near fall. She dodged a punch from Grace and slugged her black eye. The referee separated them for no reason, which gave Grace an opening to hit Wasteland for the win. Wasteland, of course, was Wade Barrett's finisher. Wade Barrett was on commentary. He put over the move. He put over Ariana Grace. That was pretty cool. Hale definitely flashed in the match. She does seem to have a very high ceiling from a very limited amount of exposure. She's just 18 years old. Huge way to go. Um, But both of them are still extremely green, Grace and Hale. So, you know, they both have a lot of work to do. Tiffany Stratton walked into a clearly set up locker room with only her name on it when Wendy Chu turned off the lights, attacked her from behind and left her laying injured. Not much to really break down from this, except we now have three weeks of them like not fighting and the storyline still not ending. Let's just get to it. Like, let's end this thing. Also, it would have been really cool if when the lights came back on, Chu had Randy Orton's night vision goggles from when he did that blackout attack like a year ago or two years ago, whatever that was, It would have been a nice like Easter egg, but I digress. Uh, Gigi Dolan and JC Jane were mourning not having the women's tag team titles. Jane went to a record store to find some new rock music. Dolan went into a bar and drank whiskey. They said they lived the rock star life and want to shatter a false reality. It was actually really well done and got me way more interested in both of them than I otherwise kind of was going into the vignette. Nick Flynn at nflin underscore 17, he said, is it just me or was that character vignette for Gigi and JC of Toxic Attraction? A little bit too little too late, by a year for both of them. Also, of the three, if we're getting close to the end of their time in 2.0, which has the most potential, which will just be okay, and which will be the odd woman out. So what interested me most here is that Mandy Rose was not part of the Toxic Attraction vignette. And that made it seem like maybe WWE's plan is actually for her to drop the title and bring her back up solo and keep them as a tag team with that name in NXT. They did toxic vignettes though for both of them when the group was initially formed. So it's definitely not too little too late. They're just kind of going back to it. But it was a good refresher to make them stand out if they are going to do the split. To answer your other question, Gigi definitely has the highest ceiling as far as I'm concerned. Mandy is just okay. She's barely, if at all, improved since her return to NXT, despite having one of the longest women's title reigns in the brand's history. But she does have the look and there's no doubting that. JC is talented And she has a look too, but she doesn't really stand out in any individual area in the ring, on the mic, anything. So I do think she would be the odd woman out if they were to completely split and try to make it on their own. Solo Sokoa learned from a trainer that he has a sprained PCL and will be out four to six weeks. He was obviously pissed off. Cameron Grimes walked up to give him respect. Sokoa appreciated it and said he wanted to go after the North American title. He said, guys like them always have to work harder for what they want. And Grimes gave that like a weird reaction. He almost kind of brushed it off and walked away. I didn't completely understand what his response was there. Uh, Sokoa being out a month or so really sucks because he has so much momentum, but I have to believe this isn't bullshit. He must have some form of injury because there's no other reason to keep him out. Some random dude taunted Grimes. He said, hey, be careful walking through that door. That's where he got hit last week uh, during that Falls County Anywhere match. Uh, He walked it off Grimes. He just was going to leave. When Joe Gacy asked him where he's going, Grimes said he's going home, Gacy asked to who? As Grimes walked out depressed. I actually, you know, I'm not trying to say I like this now, but that line, like that part of the storytelling was solid, but I'm not going to repeat myself on Gacy, the dyad, the schism. This is whatever. I hate it. Just end that, please. Uh, Nikita Lyons fought Keanu James. Lyons hit some kind of flying hip attack that completely missed in the corner. Then she got caught in the ropes. James got a rope break on a pinfall. James then tried to use the ropes for leverage, but Lyons escaped with a roundhouse kick, plus her jumping split for the win in a few minutes. James attacked after the bell with her bag, like her purse, and nothing else happened. It was the expected result. Really odd that they would have Kiana James give her a cheap shot and then have Nikita not respond to it. Now, Nikita Lyons is gonna be in the Women's Tag Team Title Tournament on the main roster soon, alongside Zoe Stark, which is completely nonsensical. She is not at all ready for a main roster match, singles, tag team. I don't care, even if she's gonna eat the fall. I do not understand the decision-making of elevating her like this. I get why she trends on Twitter. I understand why certain groups of fans like her and I'm not taking away anyone's taste. You, you do you, that's cool. She is not good enough in the ring. She is not good enough on the mic. She's nowhere near ready to be anywhere close to, to the main roster, let alone in a tag team title tournament. They had the KCs who are the actual champions. They could have brought toxic attraction into that tournament because they were the former champions. There are other women they could have paired together to put up there, do something with Alba Fire, give her some rub on the main roster. Instead, Nikita Lyons, it just, it doesn't make any sense. I do not get it. Diamond Mine was watching film with Apollo Crews and thanking him for his advice. Roderick Strong got angry at that. Julius Creed got in his face for no showing last week's match. Strong said it was a test. They passed because they retained without him. Brutus said Strong lied about that. Cruz called it shady. They decided to fight and watch the film from their match next week. Before the match, a camera zoomed in on Cruz's eye, which showed all of Diamond Mine like writhing around on a canvas with a green tint to the picture. This continued what is like a visualization gimmick that they're doing for Cruz. It's inconsistent. I don't get it. I don't really know that it's working either. So we had Strong against Cruz. No one from Diamond Mine entered with Strong. These guys battled. Cruz had a flying neckbreaker for a near fall plus two German suplexes and a tilting backdrop on the ring apron for another near fall. Strong worked the back with a stronghold, but Cruz escaped. Strong had a backbreaker. Cruz came back with an Inseguri. Then Cruz countered Strong's pump knee into a gut buster and caught him with a one-handed spine buster for the one, two, three in 15 minutes. This was an absolute... Banger, I went three point seven five stars and a B plus. You could even maybe go a little bit higher. You could not ask for more for these guys, though, in a short match. Nonstop action. Strong losing wasn't a surprise at all. As far as Cruz, it's strange that his return to NXT was so hot, but they cooled him off by not using him and elevating him right away. Hopefully, this is the start of getting him back into a title picture. After the match, Strong stormed into the film room. McCreeds and Damon Kemp were watching the eight man tag from last week. The creeds threw the test line back in his face and Julia said he saw something in the match from last week that gave him bigger concerns, but they didn't really say exactly what it was. Strong threw a fit, broke the laptop and told them to keep everything in house. It feels like, obviously, I've said this before, it's a long-term story to write him off before a requested release, but it's taking a long time for us to get to the climax. Cruz was celebrating backstage when Grayson Waller interrupted to congratulate him and then suggest he would take out another veteran, Totally solid segment, rekindles a feud that we've been waiting to kind of progress. Trick Williams fought Wesley in a rounds match. Rules were six three-minute rounds with falls via pinfall submission or countout, and the first person to get to two points would be the winner. If there was a DQ or a knockout, the match would end immediately. So they both wore boxing gloves and spent 90% of the first round boxing, even though a rounds match is not a boxing match. That was just dumb baby face shit from Wesley, given his reach disadvantage. I mean, if you're going to talk about it like boxing, he has like half the reach of Trick. So insane. There wasn't a point scored, and Trick actually got saved by the bell. So they finally started wrestling in round two. Carmelo Hayes grabbed Wesley's foot, and Trick got a pinfall after a big boot. Round three was entirely during commercials with no fall. Trick put on a single glove for round four and threw haymakers. Wesley caught him with a crucifix bomb for a pinfall, but the referee missed Trick's leg. Hitting the rope, he should have seen that and stopped the fall. I don't think it was supposed to be part of the match plan on top of it, so just a big mistake. Immediately after the bell, though, Trick threw a cheap shot haymaker that knocked Wesley down. Apparently for the referee, that's not a disqualification, which it clearly should have been because it was a punch well after the bell. Wesley kicked out multiple times while dazed. He made a run. He put on a glove, slug Trick in the jaw, and got the pinfall for a 2-1 win in five rounds. I wanted to love this so bad. I like the Heritage Cup stuff in NXT UK. I was really excited about this for the better part of a week, but the match booking was completely nonsensical as I just explained. If NXT is gonna do a rounds match again, do it like the Heritage Cup with people who are actually going to wrestle. I would love to see Apollo Crews and Roderick Strong in a rounds match. That's what we want, not this. This wasn't bad per se, like from an entertainment standpoint, but it was really disappointing from a booking standpoint. So with that, let's go to that NXT Heatwave Ultimate Preview. Normally we don't do quote unquote Ultimate Previews for special TV events, but this one is a really strong card. So I'm gonna treat it more like I would the Halloween Havoc and the New Year's Evil those types of shows where we did do Ultimate Previews. So Mello stayed in the ring after the rounds match. He accused Wesley of cheating before recalling how Nathan Frazier stole an open challenge last week, but still lost. He also was wearing an awesome Bad Boy Records hat, and a shirt of Wesley crying, which was pretty cool. Frazier's music hit, but Giovanni Vinci appeared and dared Hayes to reissue the open challenge for Heatwave, so he can get a title shot. Vinci said he's not the A champion, Melo, but he's A guy. Melo accepted. They countered each other a few times until referees separated them. So we're going to have a North American Championship match, Carmelo Hayes against Giovanni Vinci. This is going to be a really good match. I just find it odd that they keep putting Vinci in situations where he's fighting good people, but theoretically should lose those matches. And this is definitely a spot where he should lose. Meanwhile, the gimmick they've given Fabian Eichner, it's really freaking good. Like this is one of their better repackages of someone who was already established and they're just kind of like wasting it by having him do this. I would have much rather seen Giovanni Vinci be the one to go after Braun Breaker for the NXT title where a loss to Breaker is more excusable as the main champion than it would be here to Carmelo Hayes also, I have problems with the main event. We'll talk about that later. Regardless, I think you can see where this is going. I have Carmelo Hayes retaining the title here. I do think Soloisico will be the one to take the North American Championship off Melo. And obviously with him out four to six weeks, we should not expect that anytime soon. Uh, we had a final accord scheduled between Santos Escobar and Tony D'Angelo. They met by a fountain. Tony refused to shake his hand. Santos said last week was payback for trying to take him out. And he mocked his accent. D'Angelo wanted Escobar to rejoin the family. Escobar suggested one final match, saying he will leave NXT if he loses. But if he wins, Legato del Fantasma is free from Tony D'Angelo. D'Angelo agreed to that. As long as the rest of Legato stays behind, should Escobar lose the match and leave NXT? He also wanted a street fight stipulation, and they shook on it. So the final Accord segment was by far, and I mean by far the best of any of these sit-downs. Like it was really good. If all the other ones were D-movies, this was like a B-movie. But damn, like I wanted this to be a true loser leaves town match. We've been talking about this for like three or four months at this point and they're not doing it. It should have been all of Legato leaves town or all of the D'Angelo family leaves. That way Legato could get the call up to the main roster. Instead, by virtue of this stipulation, either Santos gets called up on his own, which is, I mean, great, and I'm, I would be excited for him because he's awesome, but far less ideal because Legato is such a great part of his gimmick. Those guys in particular, like even if you brought him up and gave him Angel Garza and Umberto Carillo, it's not as good as Legato del Fantasma, which is established as a group. And you have Electro Lopez as part of that also. Anyway, so either that happens which isn't really great, or they all stay in NXT after winning and the storyline ends with nothing substantial changing to anyone's status. That's just kind of a lose-lose scenario. Why they would call up Santos without Legato after all this time or why they would want all of these guys sticking around in NXT, neither makes sense to me. So we're gonna get Escobar and D'Angelo in a street fight. In terms of like predicting it, Legato has the numbers advantage. Plus, as I just said, calling up Escobar without Legato is just nonsensical. Those guys are so main roster ready. WWE badly needs tag teams. So if they're not going to call them all up together as part of a real loser leaves town stipulation, then I'm going to go ahead and pick Escobar to win this match and everyone just stays in NXT and maybe they all get called up in October or November whenever they do the draft. That would be nice. Cora Jade fought Zoe Stark on NXT. Lions gave Stark a pep talk backstage, given their tag team partners in the WWE Women's Tournament, as I mentioned. They even had a secret handshake together. Mandy Rose sat on commentary. Jade tried using a weapon, but missed and ate a German suplex. I should also note that Cora Jade got new entrance music, and it was very good, much improved. Stark kicked out of a hammerlock DDT, and again, after sliced bread, Jade stared at Mandy and went to grab a weapon when Roxanne Perez took it off the apron. That distraction let Stark hit a super kick and a flip over go to sleep for the win in what was a way better match than I expected. Three stars and a B minus. Perez chased Jade to the back with the weapon. Rose attempted attack, but Stark hit the GTS on the champion to stand tall. Both women already had matches set for Heatwave, so I assume this would be a screwy finish. Instead, they had Jade get beaten and Stark stand over Rose also ahead of Heatwave, both of which to me were surprising And may have telegraphed those match finishes. So let's go ahead and get to those two matches. Cora Jade against Roxanne Perez. That's the first one. You know, like Roxy really should win this. But it also feels like because there's been so much separation since Cora Jade's heel turn, that this is just the start of their feud. And if you're just starting the feud, you need to have the heel win first. So I'm going to go ahead and pick Cora Jade to beat Roxanne Perez. Now we have the NXT Women's Championship Mandy Rose against Zoe Stark. This one can honestly go either way. The momentum behind Stark right now is pretty massive. I know there's a swath of people that just don't like her. And I think it's probably because maybe she doesn't have the greatest charisma. She doesn't really have a gimmick. She's just a wrestler's wrestler at this point. But you know what? That's kind of what NXT needs as the women's champion because the person in that role should be elevating all the younger women and helping them learn and grow. And that's a really good position for Zoe Stark to been in, it's exactly why the division has been so down recently over the last year. Not that the talent isn't good, but the women's championship, the main event women's division, has been so down in NXT because Mandy Rose is your champion and she's not good in the ring. She's not good on the mic. She's not selling matches or really getting anything accomplished. And yet she has one of I think the four longest women's title reigns in NXT history. Longer than Paige, which is ridiculous. So, even though Zoe Stark being in that women's tag team tournament on SmackDown seems to indicate that she would lose this match, because why would you bring the champion up and have her compete in that when she would just be in NXT and you could just use someone else? I think they're actually going the opposite way. They're saying, you know what? She's going to be the newly crowned NXT women's champion, and we want to feature her on main roster television. So I could see it going either way, truly. But I'm gonna go ahead and predict the end of Mandy's title reign. Please, let's pray about it. Uh, Mandy Rose drops the title. Zoe Stark is your new NXT Women's Champion. We will see if that actually comes to fruition. And then lastly here, the NXT Championship Braun Breaker defending against JD McDonough. There was a video package ahead of their match. The video package was well done. It was probably the only segment between them since this feud started, that actually built excitement for a title match. This match is going to be good. I want to make that clear. Even if JD McDonough does a little bit too much technical wrestling at the beginning, he's very good in the ring. Bronn is obviously explosive. He's a smaller guy. JD is. There's a lot of thing they can, a lot of things they can do to work off that the the juxtaposition of big strong guy against a smaller dude who's trying to wear him down and weaken him. At the same time, what we've seen so far from McDonough, kind of leads me to believe that I'm going to be bored by this match, and Braun's going to win, and we're just going to kind of shake our heads, because what has been the issue with Braun Breaker? I've said it ad nauseum on this podcast. Ever since the end of the Champa feud and the Dolph Ziggler feud, he has been given the worst opponents and the worst storylines in all of NXT. The men's and women's main event storylines in NXT have been relatively awful over the last few months, This is an opportunity for NXT to rectify it. How do you do it? You give Stark the women's title. You allow her to put on some really good matches with better women's wrestlers on the brand and help elevate the younger talent. And you have Braun Breaker get past JD McDonough here and you come up with another top tier challenger for him. Maybe even someone that takes the title off him in Apollo Crews would be very believable in a situation like this. Or if Carmelo Hayes happens to lose his North American Championship, having Mello beat Braun, even if there's some help from Trick Williams in there, that would make sense too. So I have Braun Breaker retaining the title. I I just gotta say, I know it's the main event. I'm looking forward to this match least out of anything on this entire card. And that is purely the fault of creative. It just is. So that is the NXT Heatwave Ultimate Preview. I'm not gonna give a pre-show grade for it because it's not a premium live event, but I do expect it to be very good. I was actually pretty surprised Uh, Cagematch.net is a great resource just to look at like uh, trends and you know win loss records and things like that. But the users there also grade matches and grade shows. And I was very surprised. I recently looked at this right before I taped today's podcast that the highest rated WWE TV or premium live event show of 2022. It's not WrestleMania Night One. It's not some edition of SmackDown or Raw. It is NXT New Year's Evil. That is the number one rated show by cage match users. And that just tells you that there is potential for this brand as long as it's booked well. And I think this show, Heat Wave on Tuesday, if you don't normally watch NXT and you just listen to my recaps, watch NXT on Tuesday. I think you're gonna get a lot of really good stuff on this show and maybe can get you back into it. So that is the breakdown for NXT this week. Two more things to get to before we get out of here, NXT UK and Ric Flair's last match. A few weeks ago on NXT UK, we had, appropriately, an NXT UK championship match, Isla Dragunov defending against Wolfgang. I am going to break down this match for you, mostly because I want you to watch it, but Dragunov sold an injured lower back. Uh, He continued the match anyway. Wolfgang gave him a knee to the spine for a near fall. Dragunov rolled down Wolfie and gave him a stiff forearm to the head for a 2.8 false finish. Draganov then hit a senton bomb and heavily sold the back, unable to cover. Wolfgang then hit a really sick move. I can't even describe it. Seriously, I tried. Don't know. Awesome move for a 2.9 false finish. Wolfgang flipped over the ropes for a spear, but Draganov caught him with a pump knee, then retched him into the canvas for a vertical suplex, coming back with Torpedo Moscow, his finisher, to retain the title in an absolute banger. This was terrific. Great clash of styles. And the injury storyline got me far more invested in it than I otherwise would have been, I'm not particularly a Wolfgang fan, nothing against him, but the injury storyline made it seem like, oh, wow, they may actually change the title here. Four stars and an A- for that match. Now, the following week, which was last week on NXT UK, Dragunov opened the show announcing he suffered a severe ankle injury early in the match. They showed a highlight of it, and it was clear that he hurt his ankle, but it was wild because it was not apparent during the match that he was working with an injured ankle. Obviously, he was selling the back the entire time. Dragunov said he fought through the pain because the NXT UK title is not a privilege. It deserves a fighting champion. He said he can't get cleared by trainers. He has no regrets. And while he's sad to relinquish the title, he knows no one can beat him except himself. And he promised he will regain the championship. Fans chanted undefeated. He put the title on the canvas, knelt down and patted it before leaving. This was one of the best title relinquishing promos that was not also a retirement promo that I can remember. Dragunov was pitch perfect. And I was captivated by his presence on the screen. This is gonna be in our year-end award conversation for promo of the year. It probably won't win, but it will be in the conversation. It's unfortunate that this reign had to end at 347 days. He was a stellar champion, elevated massively by Walter in their two matches, Gunther. I hope that Isla comes back strong. It was announced later in that NXT UK episode, there's gonna be an eight-man tournament to crown a new champion, starting with Trent Seven against Wolfgang. Charlie Dempsey against Oliver Carter, Mark Andrews against Joe Coffey, and Kenny Williams against Tyler Bate. Dempsey is the son of William Regal, and Carter has been getting a push on TV, so that particularly is an interesting matchup. I did appreciate that they had a tournament ready to go as soon as this all went down. It sounds like it's gonna be a month, though, before we actually see the title match, which is unfortunate given we already know who won the title because the whole thing is taped. So I'm not gonna ruin that. I'm not gonna spoil it but that's obviously what happened here. Uh, Mike Reisfeld at Feld, at underscore Feld, underscore world. He said, Isla straight up never misses. I've never seen a guy so compellingly get his ass kicked every match and then believably pull out the win. Wolfgang match was a banger and the title of Relinquishment seems to open the door for a move. Any chance they bring him over, I want Isla Gunther main event intercontinental championship match with Triple H booking it ASAP. So there is talk that some NXT UK guys could head to the United States for NXT. But he's not among them, obviously, because he's injured. And I'm not really sure what they should do with ILO once he recovers. His English is great. It's nearly perfect. He could definitely work on the main roster. I think previously, you know, the the trite booking of him, the typical booking would be, oh, he's Russian, so he's going to be a heel. With Triple H, it would make sense for him to be booked as a babyface. But the problem is, the main roster crowd is just conditioned to boo foreigners like this, especially people from Russia. And if you bring Ila Draganov over, there's a very good chance, even if you try to make him a baby face, he's gonna be a heel. He's also not a good fit for NXT 2.0 because he's way more serious than that show otherwise is. So I guess bringing him to the main roster and figuring out a way to make that work would be the best move possible if he's willing to come to the United States. But if not, putting him back on NXT UK, giving him another six months to a year there once he's healthy, that would be fine too. The other major NXT UK thing to talk about was there was a scheduled women's championship match between Mako Satamora and Saray. The storyline was Saray asked Mako for a match a couple times, but got ignored. Satomura eventually accepted, but told her to be prepared. Saray said she's the sunrise of the division, and Mako is the sunset, referring, of course, to their ages. And I was really excited for this match. I love Saray. I love Sadamora. You guys have heard me put over Sadamora before. Not that I need to. She's a freaking legend, but I've put her over. And I love her. And I was ec- extremely excited to watch this match. I put on NXT UK and I decided to talk about it on the show because I wanted to review this match. And we get ready for the main event and suddenly Blair Davenport, the former B. Presley, appears And refuses to leave the ring, saying Satomura has been dodging her since breaking her ankle months ago, and both Maiko and Saray suffered an unexpected fate, her. She demanded a title match, and then a male Isla Dawn and Eliza Alexander all made their cases for a title match, so they booked a number one contendership, but only between two of the four women, Davenport and Dawn. So we got that match, it went 10 minutes, it ended after Isla hit a meteor for a near fall, but Alexander pulled her leg. I think there was a, no contest. I think that's what it was ruled. All four women then battled to end the show, which I presume is going to set up a fatal four-way between them for a number one contendership on an upcoming episode. I don't read the spoilers. But the booking of this thing was extremely strange. Saray is already back in the United States, and she just got squashed by Mandy Rose, as I complained about last week. So I'm going to presume she never gets her match. But why? Why would you cancel a potentially great match That was built for multiple weeks if she wasn't going to win anyway. It was such a bummer on multiple levels. And then what we got instead was just rubbish. Like Davenport was the only one of the four who was good on the mic. Dawn was decent. Their match was okay. Davenport's the one who should take the title off Satamora. So it just seems like Saray is going to get completely skipped over. I just don't get it at all. No one really reports on NXT UK, but I'm really curious to find out what happened. So. I would love it if the Mike Johnsons of the world or Sean Ross Sapp or Dave Meltzer, someone goes ahead and reports and finds out why the hell this match didn't happen and what's going on with Sarai. I would really love to know the answer to both of those things. Lastly here, we're going to discuss Ric Flair's last match. This was SummerSlam weekend the day after in Nashville. Uh, So this got promoted under the old Jim Crockett promotions like tag. Conrad Thompson and David Crockett, I think they each owned 50% of it. And after the show, the reports were that basically Conrad was gonna give his half half, over to David Crockett, which is obviously pretty cool. So they had wrapping paper on this whole show, Jim Crockett wrapping paper, and it did make it feel special, I will say. The pre-match video package was also pretty well done. The storyline was basically Jay Lethal trained Ric Flair for his last match, but Flair wouldn't let Lethal be part of it and Jeff Jarrett agreed that Lethal was disrespected because he's known Flair to be disrespectful. He did it to him as well. So they attacked and bloodied Flair in a parking lot and that ended up setting the tag team match. Flair brought in Andrade Alidolo, his son-in-law, and then Lethal and Jeff Jarrett tagged together. The Undertaker, Mick Foley, Bret Hart, Diamond, Dallas Page, they were among big names in the crowd. Tony Schiavone was on the call along with David and Mike Kyoto was the referee. So they definitely built this right in terms of making it feel important like his last match. So we get Ric Flair and Andrade Lilo against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. Obviously, Ric Flair's last match main evented, Ric Flair's last match. They built up Flair's entrance and he came out with the original big gold belt, which was a really nice touch. Conrad owns it, so it wasn't a surprise that they had it. It was also kind of the last positive thing I'm gonna say about this. The, it's Everything started okay, okay? Flair got some chops in. he tagged out quickly. And that's what I thought would happen in the match. Jarrett then walked around outside for like five minutes. They were just like wasting time. Suddenly, Flair could barely move. He gave weak chops on Lethal and Lethal did 99% of their moves himself. Like Flair would touch him and then he'd flip over. He didn't actually do that. I'm just saying that's the equivalent of what I'm talking about. Jarrett then used his wife's shoe for a cheap shot on Flair. There was a distraction when the women fought so Flair could blade. Then he gets back into the ring. Again, he can barely move. He gets a figure four on Lethal. Lethal accidentally superkicks Jarrett and Kyota. Then he eats a Poison Rana from Andrade. That was the best sequence of the entire match. It was the only decent sequence of the entire match. Flair is then on the ring apron, laying down, barely conscious. Andrade goes over to tag him in and like has to force Flair's hand to touch his hand. So then Andrade like, lifts him up, and he saves him from a guitar shot that lethal ate. Then Conrad Thompson threw brass knuckles into the ring to Andrade. He's married, by the way, to another Flair daughter. Andrade again has to physically lift Flair off his feet for a punch on Jarrett. Barely touched him. And there's no one to cover because the referee got knocked out. Another referee then runs in. Flair puts Jarrett in the figure four with his shoulders pinned to the canvas for the one, two, three, and the win. After the match, Shivani just kept repeating, you are the greatest pro wrestler ever. You are the greatest pro wrestler ever. While he tried to interview him after the match, the whole thing was odd. Ric Flair would later say in an interview that he was dehydrated and he lost consciousness twice. What are we doing here, folks? Like, how was this even allowed to happen? This was simultaneously like better and worse than I described. Better in that Flair got what he wanted. And the match layout did make sense. It was actually booked well. Like, the concept of everything they did was was good. And the post-match ovation that he got was nice. But this was worse in that it never should have happened. It was extremely difficult to watch. And I'm honestly shocked that, like, the commission, or whoever this had to get approved through, allowed it to happen by law. Like, that this was allowed to transpire. Somehow, this was not among the worst matches I've ever seen. But it was absolutely awful. There is no way to put it otherwise. It was terrible, and if you haven't seen it, I suggest you don't go out of your way to see it. One star, D minus. I don't know if I've ever given a grade that low or lower. One star, D minus. Terrible. And I hate to end the show on that much of a downer, but that is the final thing that we have to talk about here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. I appreciate all of you being with us for this supersized edition Of our normal Thursday show, we broke down AEW, NXT, NXT UK, and Ric Flair's last match. There is so much big time wrestling stuff coming our way in the ensuing weeks. So be sure, if this is your first time listening, you go ahead and subscribe to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Do not forget that this show, more than any wrestling podcast so be sure to leave a five-star rating for us on apple Podcasts and spotify on apple also leave a written review so that people know why they should listen to and subscribe to the show do not forget to follow us on twitter at getting overcast and please remember we will be back in this very spot same bat time same bat channel next week with our next nxt and aew show we will have nxt heatwave results and we'll be breaking down a regular episode kind of of AEW for the first time in what feels like months. So there is still plenty to talk about one week from now on Thursday. But between now and then, we will be back on Tuesday with our WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And I can tell you, folks, we have never had more people listening to our regular WWE shows, our weekly Tuesday shows, than right now. There is clearly momentum behind this product. People are watching it more frequently, particularly Raw on Monday nights. And I'm just very excited to see the listenership increase. We're getting more DMs, more tweets. The downloads are coming through. Everything is awesome. And it's all because of you who have allowed us to grow into what we already are and hopefully what we can become in the future. Thanks to supporting us, subscribing, telling your friends, leaving those reviews. When people ask you, what wrestling podcast should I listen to? Hopefully the answer is the one with that term in its name, getting over I appreciate all of you listening to today's show. We will be back on Tuesday. I'm going to leave you at this point with three final notes. Bye for now.